Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. On this episode, I had an opportunity to have Ricky Steele, just one of Atlanta's great, great leaders, great humans. I got to read his book, The Heart of Networking. Uh, you you got to check it out. He's fantastic. And we just sort of talk about everything and anything on this podcast. I'm sure I'm going to have him again. If you know Ricky, he's your best friend. <laughs> he's just so awesome. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation I had with Ricky Steele. All right, I'm here with my new best friend, Ricky Steele. Um, you guys are going to love Ricky if you don't know him, but how could you not know him? I think 90% of my audience is in Atlanta, so uh, you're probably aware. But Ricky, why don't you start by telling everybody who you are and what you do? Sure, Jeff. Thank you very much for this opportunity. It's always great to spend time with you, and and you're such an inspiring individual. Uh, I am Ricky Steele, Richard E. Steele Jr., born in Crawford Long Hospital some 70 years ago. I was born in Atlanta, and I will die in Atlanta or on a Delta flight trying to get home as quick as I can. I love this city. This is the city of my birth, the birth, of course, of the civil rights movement and so many other great things. So uh, I've been an entrepreneur most of my career. I've started 10 different businesses. Uh, some of them were fairly successful. Uh, I, and earlier in life, I won the Georgia Small Business Person of the Year and got to go to the White House and meet the other 49 state winners. And I've stood in front of a bankruptcy judge and uh, declared Chapter 7 for a business, not personally, but for a business. So I've seen the gamut. And um, I've been involved in the community. I grew up involved in the community growing up in Columbus, Georgia, where my mom and dad uh, moved after I was born. And um, and then it moved back to Atlanta to my home roots in uh, 1979. And I've been here ever since. Uh, very active in the community. I was very fortunate to... Uh, get accepted into Leadership Georgia uh, in 1987 and Leadership Atlanta in 1986, which had an impact upon my life that is indescribable, as you did when you went through, I believe, in 2013, if I remember. You got it. Yep. Um, it, it changed my life forever. And uh, and other than that, just uh, the proud uh, husband of uh, 44 years with a, a wife that uh, didn't deserve She'd never done anything bad enough to deserve me, and I never did anything good enough to deserve her. But uh, three wonderful children and uh, five grandchildren with one on the way. And uh, I just, you know, so honored to be here. Author of three books uh, with the third and final book, The Heart of Networking, third edition, came out right after the first of this year. And uh, you know, I've been very, very pleased with the comments and what folks have said so far and and grateful that you took the time to read it. and. Uh, and look forward to hearing your comments as well. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time to join me. The book is awesome. I mean, it's so good. The stories, there. You know, I thought about the book. It's it's about networking, but it's also just about how to live your life. And you tell really rich stories about building relationships with people and caring for people. So um, there's obviously, I'll put a link in the show notes to the book. I, I just encourage everybody. It's such a great fast read too. Um, and I will tell you, I have like yellow marks in this book from highlighting all throughout it. <laughs> and not just cause I was going to talk to you on the podcast. Like there's just such great nuggets. So 
I could have taken this conversation in different directions. I just, I thought, you know what, for our first conversation, let's talk about networking. And um, I want to start with this. You have two sort of quotes in the book. Uh, one, I, one I've heard before, one I hadn't. First is, the larger your network, the greater your capacity to grow. And then the second is your net worth is equal to your network, which is definitely something I've heard. So I, why don't you just spend a few minutes and share your philosophy on networking? And I'm kind of surprised you even like that word, you know, because it can mean lots of different things to different people. It can mean a lot of different things. A lot of people think networking is about boozing and schmoozing and nothing could be farther from the truth. I was very blessed. Uh, my dad, Richard E. Steele Sr., uh, played football at the University of Georgia and, and upon completion in 1952, my mom and dad actually got married while they were still in college. Uh, he graduated from UGA and went down to Fort Benning, Georgia to do his OC. It's not even called Fort Benning anymore, but Fort Benning, Georgia for his OCS. I was born seven months later uh, in Atlanta. And uh, my I actually uh, spent the first six, seven months of my life living with my mom and our grandparents' house over on Houston Mill Road, uh, close to Emory. Uh, Dad re-injured a knee uh, that he had operated on playing football in Georgia twice while he was going through jump school and uh, ended up, uh, or through OCS before jump school, and ended up uh, getting a medical discharge. So mom and I moved to Columbus in 1953, and I was very blessed to follow my father's footsteps he was a guy that did, was no respecter of persons. Uh, he started off selling life insurance door to door after getting medically discharged from the service. And I heard stories that uh, if you wanted to read the Columbus Ledger Inquirer, you, you invite my father over. And when he crossed his legs, you could read it through the bottom of his shoes because the holes were so big. Uh, he was <laughs> selling insurance door to door for $50 a month or something close to that. Wow. But my father... I watched him all his life. He would shake hands with every single human being he ran in front of, whether it was the guy pumping gas when people actually used to pump your gas back in the day, uh, the mayor, if he happened to bump into him around town, or the waiter at a restaurant, if we happened to be eating in a nicer restaurant with, with a wait staff or what have you. He just he just loved everybody. And, and I watched him accomplish some great things. He was an entrepreneur himself, started many different businesses, and uh, went from selling insurance door to door to uh, building apartment complexes, condominiums, owning the largest hotel in the city of Columbus, owning a double-A baseball team, and all of these things he put together because of his network. He didn't have the money to do many of these things, but he came up with an idea and a vision, and then he would go out and get people who were part of his network, either at church and the community. He was involved in the JCs and I believe the Rotary. So again, watching his network and seeing how successful it made him made me understand the concept and really have a leg up on anybody going into it. Since following, watching him work, uh, I have seen, uh, you know, the more people you know, the more opportunities you have to help someone else succeed. And to find the more often you help someone else succeed in their life, the more often people are standing in line to help you succeed in yours. No doubt about it. Um, you you definitely. Um, I'm gonna flip because I know that um, I highlighted the the schmoozing, boozing, and schmoozing line. Um, yeah, yeah. Here it is. Uh, most people, you're right. Most people think of networking as boozing and schmoozing in an attempt to make someone like you enough to do business with you. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. And then you go on to talk about building relationships and authentic relationships. When I, you know, we have so much in common. Um, you, we, we both went to Leadership Atlanta. Uh, yours very famously was the second best class ever. Mine was, of course, the best <laughs> class ever. Everybody's heard of the 2013 class. <laughs> uh, although we did have Raphael Warnock. So I just, you know, That's a we're, in, we're in contention. Um, but uh, jokes aside, that made an impact on both of us, as you said. Uh, but networking as well. Like I, when I go talk, say, to a class at Georgia State of graduating seniors or something, uh, it's like, one of the things I lead with, and I do just like you just expressed, I, I explain the power of it and it's, it needs to be authentic. It needs to be real. You can't do it to say, all right, how am I going to get something out of this person? Let me, let me meet with them four times and then I can get something from them. It's, it's more about giving. And that's something that also came through in this book is like, and just my experience with you, but like you have such a giving heart and you give without expecting anything in return, right? Well, thank you, Jeff, first of all. But uh, yes, um, when you give a gift, expecting something in return, that is not a gift. That is a bribe. That is a down payment on something you expect in the future. When you give a gift, expecting something in return, more often than not, you're going to be disappointed because not everyone has the same capacity to share or give as others do. If you give expecting something in return, you're going to find a lot of disappointment. When you give expecting nothing in return, you're going to find a lot of joy because people are going to, to go out of the way to serve you if you've done something you know, to help them in their journey. The most important person either one of us are ever going to meet is the next person we stand in front of. And if we look at them with those eyes, and say, by God, I am lucky to be in front of you. How can we do something together to make the world a better place? Then you're going to find ways to do something to make the world a better place. And when that happens, business may or may not happen as a result. But more often than not, there is nobody on this planet that likes to be sold anything. Mm -hmm. And every single one of us are dying to buy something today. And we want to buy from somebody that we trust, believe in, and enjoy spending time with. I hadn't made a cold call since Bill Clinton was president. You know, I, I sell to friends and friends of friends. And uh, again, I'm not a subject matter expert on much of anything in the technology community, but I've made a great living in technology for the last 20 years just by being having the privilege of serving those that I'm blessed to meet along the way. Yeah, it's... um. It's, you know, you, you go through telling a lot of the story of your life in the book. And while you haven't made a cold call uh, since uh, Bill Clinton, you did make cold calls uh, in the early days, or at least you you uh, got yourself in front of what, what I was so impressed with was like where you got the nerve to get in front of somebody and just have that initial burst of of conversation with them. And you, you tell a story about getting in front of uh, in front of Mr. Barry. Um, way back. And I'd love for you to tell that quick story if you could. And just like, again, what struck me was you worked, you just were willing to get in front of him. And again, based on what I've, what I know about you, had he been really rude and mean, okay, that you would have walked away, but you know, you built a relationship and it led to things. So like, I guess, tell that story if you would real quickly, um, uh, the high points of it. And then just like, 
I don't know, give people the confidence of like, if somebody wants to meet Ricky Steele, you know, how do they get the confidence to reach out to you? Well, um, as I started my early career uh, during, actually during college, not at the end of college, but during college, I went to work selling insurance with my dad, for my dad, with my dad, one of the many businesses he had. And um, uh, had to make a lot of cold calls back in those days. And dad told me very early on, never be afraid to get in front of anyone you cannot get arrested. No one's going to arrest you. No one's going to beat you to death. No one's going to try to take advantage of you. They're either going to accept what you have to say, give you a few minutes of their time, or they're going to kick you out the door. And none of those things are going to hurt that long. So do not be afraid to meet new people. Uh, in 1978-ish, I started, uh, it's a long, much longer story, but I started a two-car limousine service in Columbus, Georgia. I don't know how much you or your audience know about Columbus, but it will not be the next great limousine capital of the world. <laughs> I had two cars. It was four times more than I ever needed. And uh, I moved to Atlanta to go bankrupt because I didn't want to go bankrupt in my hometown where I grew up. So I came to Atlanta. And uh, one of the first things I had to do was go to the airport and get permits so that my drivers could pick up uh, at the airport. And uh, we had a relationship with Callaway Garden. So uh, we were going back and forth. And I did some homework, did a little reading and what have you, and found out that George Berry was the commissioner of aviation. He later ran for, I think, lieutenant governor, and he was well-respected. He also later ran the Georgia, Georgia Division of Industry, Trade, and Tourism for the state of Georgia and worked for Governor Joe Frank Harris and, and, and others. But anyway, I finished getting my permits, paid my $200 with probably a bad check. Uh, this would have been 77, 78. And I just knocked on the door of the commissioner of aviation's office and asked the young lady if I could see Mr. Barry. And she said, do you have an appointment? I said, no, ma'am. I just was in the building for something else and just thought I would say hello, introduce myself. Well, he must have overheard the conversation because before she could kick me out and, and not let me in, he walked to his door and said, hello, I'm George Barry. And and that handshake started a relationship that lasted. George passed away a couple of years ago. He was a, a true mentor and, and, and a dear friend. And we spent a lot of time together over the years. Many years later, I had the exclusive contract at Hartsville International Airport for all the limousines, vans, and buses, and the shuttle buses going into downtown Atlanta. And uh, some of the things I saw out there, Lord have mercy, we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna go into those stories. But nonetheless, you know, you step out in faith, you believe that the worst thing that can happen to you is you get kicked out and you find out you have a relationship. I later, because when George Berry was head of industry, trade and tourism, he asked me to produce the state of Georgia travel guide, Georgia on my mind, which I did for five years and was the single most profitable business I've ever been involved in. I would have liked to have done it forever, but every few years it came up for bid and I was not the lucky bidder one year. And, uh, and I lost it, but it was a very profitable business. And none of that would have happened had I not tapped on the glass and been fortunate enough for him to overhear me speaking to his assistant uh, or, or it would not have happened. So I told the story a little longer than I perhaps I should have, but it was a pivotal change because I was a nobody. I was moving to Atlanta, Georgia, and the only people I knew in Atlanta with my was both sets of my grandparents and a few aunts and uncles. So I started off at ground zero and fortunately, we built the largest destination management company in the Southeast. That's when I won the Georgia Small Business Person of the Year. We eventually had 120 vehicles 
and, uh, and a travel agency and a bus company. And I did the buses for the Atlanta Braves and all the major league baseball teams. And no one came to Atlanta to perform that they didn't end up in the back of one of our limousines from Frank Sinatra to um, uh, the name of the Eagle, wow. you, 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 you name somebody and yeah. a lot of backstage fun watching these entertainers uh, and what have you. So I've just had a, a, a blast on, on the trip and the journey. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, people you, you, you meet along the way, you have some unbelievable, just unbelievable photos in, in your book of people that you've been able to meet and shake hands with and be around. Uh, I'm curious, like, I mean, you've got Malcolm Gladwell, you've got Ted Turner, Schmoll. I mean, you've got so many people. And of course, Ann Kramer and Bill Bowling and Atlanta legends like that. Um, who who did you meet that you still can't believe you had a chance to meet? Two-part two part answer. The first one was uh, Athens, Georgia, probably 71, me and three other Narrative Wales attended the Ike and Tina Turner concert. And I won't tell the entire story, but at the end of the night, we end up in a hotel room with Ike and Tina Turner. And I'm sitting in bed with Tina Turner, it, sitting in bed, not in the bed, not a, but on the bed, discussing life and the concert and the whole nine yards. You know, back in those days, I didn't even have a Brownie Instamatic. I would give uh, a part of my finger to have a picture sitting in bed with Tina Turner from 1971. Fast forward, uh, in probably 1986, um, I handled, the, Joe Frank Harris was the host of the Southern Governors Conference at Sea Island, and they asked me to coordinate everything for them. And so uh, I was down there and uh, flying back and forth on the state jet and, you know, doing all the, the, the logistical work. And the second night or the third night there, John Portman held a reception at his home big, beautiful home in, uh, in, in on Sea Island. And they had a reception line with the, the governors, the nine nine or eight Southern governors, Ned McWhorter from Tennessee and Alabama, and, and of course, Joe Frank Harris and what have you. And I went down the line and shook every single one of their hands. And uh, later I got back to the my hotel room at the cloister and called my wife and said, I just met the most unbelievable human being that I've ever met in my life. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I was going through this line and I shook hands with this guy. I think he was the governor of Arkansas. His name was Clinton, I believe. And he reached into my soul. He 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 was the most charismatic person I've ever met. And he was he he just I just felt like I was his best friend for his whole life. I've never laid eyes on Bill Clinton since that day or that one moment. But that was the most um, just, and of course, what Bill Clinton has done since then, and of course very charismatic uh, individual but but again that would that would be one but again from ludicrous to to Garth Brooks from um uh Ron Clark to um uh well we go on yeah and on. I mean um, honestly your list is ridiculous John, John John Lewis was a very touching yeah. moment to meet him in person he was such a hero of mine but then again Andy Young oh Lord uh what a what an inspirational individual and um uh <laughs> You could go on. You could go. Uh, on. It'd be a lot of fun to just start kicking around a few more names, but um, Tina Turner—that's insane. <laughs> that's a crazy story. Most, uh, Howard Johnson in room two seventeen in the backside of uh, the Howard Johnsons. <laughs> and, I love it. And unlike Bill Clinton, we did inhale that night. 
<laughs> uh, Bill, you know, what's funny about the Bill Clinton thing is you probably know so many people as well that have s- similar stories. People who are just in an audience that he was speaking and they're like, I thought he was talking directly to me. I mean, it's it's crazy. The story is about him um, for a moment. Uh, let's talk about some of the Atlanta leaders. You talk a lot about Bill Bowling in the book. Um, like it's going to be hard for you because you know, you know, so many, but I'm just curious, like for, for younger people that are listening to this, like if they were to aspire to get a chance to spend 15 minutes with somebody in Atlanta, um, who would you put it toward the top of that? What are a couple of names of people who just have big, generous hearts that, that you think could impress upon somebody? Oh Lord. Um, and it would divide whether they're going to be in the non-for-profit world or whether they're going to be in corporate or whatever. If they were going to be in corporate America, I would introduce, and I do in every speech that I make, I tell everybody in the room, start following Jimmy Etheridge, mm-hmm. CEO of Accenture North America, uh, who's just resigned, retired a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, follow him on LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever. Uh, Jimmy's the, one of the most inspirational, honest, down-to-earth, super successful human beings I've ever known. And his team, same way. Um, Anidra Dixon, who runs uh, Global uh, DE&I for Accenture, and uh, Chloe Barzi, who used to have Jimmy's job when he managed the Atlanta practice. All three of those people, whenever I can find them, I will get in front of them just to listen to their their words of wisdom. Certainly Andre Dickens. I mean, Andre came up through Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, Georgia Tech graduate, a city council person, worked at Tech Bridge, an organization I volunteered for since before there was a Tech Bridge. Uh, Andre's a, a man of great compassion and, lo- and loves this city a, 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 a great bit. You know, he's not going to be with us much longer. I hope he makes his 99th birthday on October 1st. But I was very blessed to meet Jimmy Carter when I was 17 years old, and he was a state senator running for governor. And he spoke at my little church down in Columbus, Georgia, and I had the privilege. I was president of the youth group, so I introduced him to the audience. And I, the last words were, I'd like to introduce you to the next governor of the state of Georgia. We were 17 years old. We couldn't even vote. Um if if he, if we'd have given him every month all the money that the hundred of us had collectively, it wouldn't have been twelve dollars in cash, and none of us could vote with us. But we could vote for him because we weren't old enough. I don't remember what State Senator Jimmy Carter said to us that day, but I know that he made me feel like I was the most important, like Clinton, the most important person he was ever going to meet or speak to the rest of his life. I fell in love with him that night, and I've followed him ever since. I'm honored to be one of the on the board of ambassadors of the Carter Center. And I used to see him three or four times a year. Uh, he hasn't been to a board meeting in a couple of years, but he, and you've read my book. So, you know, in the book, I talk about one of the greatest networkers who ever lived, and that would be Jimmy Carter, mm-hmm. not for what he did as president, but what he's done after his presidency. To be able to get rid of a disease that's plagued this country from river blindness to the guinea worm and how he used his network of uh, DuPont, uh, E.J. Lilly, to put together the resources to save people's lives. Unbelievable. Uh, yep. That's that's a network that just, you know, I'm going to cry here in a minute. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't mean to, but, uh, but he, he's inspirational. And, of course, Andrew Young. You know, Billy Payne fought up the Olympics in church one day, but without Andy Young, the Olympics doesn't come to Atlanta, Georgia. What an inspirational human being that that man is. So, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I tell all young people, and going back to, to what you said in, in LinkedIn and, and college and, and what they're doing and what have you, I tell every single uh, person when I speak to a college or what have you, if you don't have 1,000 LinkedIn connections of people that, that can help change your life, when you graduate, you owe your mother and daddy the money that they spent to send you to college. It ought to be your colleagues. It ought to be your fellow students. It ought to be the professors. It ought to be famous alumni. If you will write alumnus and you can find them out very quickly by where they went to school and say, you know, I'm at Emory uh, right now. I would like to connect with you. Uh, don't know whether I'll ever be of any value to you, but I just like to connect. They will connect because you got the secret Emory handshake or Georgia Tech or UGA or KSU or whatever the case might be. And, and you can build a network that will change your, your life. And you'll get involved with some things where you just happen to be an event and get to meet. I was at Margaret Kaiser's house when I met John Lewis the first time. Uh, I was, you know, God only knows where I was when I met some of these other folks. But um, uh, but but you got to get out there. You got to be willing to be vulnerable. You got to be willing to be transparent. And you got to be willing to volunteer. You got to say, you know, what can I do or how may I serve you? And if you'll do that often enough, people not only take you up on it, but you'll find your positions elevate and you went from parking cars to handling name badges to you're the committee chairman for something until you're eventually uh, the chairman of the president or whatever of this not-for-profit. So I'm not telling you something you don't already know, Jeff, but but for your audience, uh, get involved and volunteer. You know, the world is a wonderful, wonderful place, and it's also a very, very hard place for many, many people. So those of us who have been given a lot, much is required. So the more we give, the more we make this world a little bit better. And isn't our job really in life, not how much money we make, but how many lives we touch, how many lives we affect, because that's how we change the world. There's only going to be one Madonna, one Prince, one J Jimmy Carter, but there's also going to be uh, uh, one Jim Jones or Bill Smith or Jeff Hillemeyer. Ricky Steele or whatever the case might be. And we can, we're not going to be on the cover of the Rolling Stone or in the Wall Street Journal. But if we touch one life today, that life has ripples and it'll be lives that are touched and children are touched. And that's how you and I are going to change this world and how you are already doing it, my friend. I, I, well, I couldn't agree more except for that last part. But yes, um, I, I love that's just why I love I loved reading the book and just like it's so clear that's what you believe. And it's what I believe. Um, I love it. One of the things that um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about is so we've talked about, you know, if you w getting in front of people and when you are to be authentic and to, you know, to to help and give more than you ask and want to receive. But what about the 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 sort of rigor of networking um you talk a little bit about i think you said you've used software before so i don't know you know maybe it's sales software or something but like i know for me um especially when i was growing a couple of my businesses you know i had a spreadsheet that i would just keep track of and say you know what i need to get in front of ricky about once a quarter i love having coffee with him and it wasn't so that i can sell him it was just like i'm going to keep up with this relationship and and it's important to me what have you done or what have you seen work um, to say, stay a bit organized with networking? Um, in the early days, I'm trying to remember Sharkware. Seemed like that came out of an Atlanta company, maybe 19, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, but there's probably been 25 different contact management systems all through. And now, of course, Salesforce and other 
uh, uh, products are, are, are much more prevalent. But I just use Outlook. And, you know, in Outlook and uh, in the contacts, you can have everybody and his brother there and you can set up uh, uh, tabs and folders on when you want to do this, when you want to do that and follow it. So uh, I don't do it as well as I would like. Um, I, um, uh, I, I kind of go by the gut most often. I see somebody, I read about somebody and I say, by gosh, I'm going I'm to reach out to them. But what I do fairly well is... Um, my wife calls it stalking. I call it research development. Yeah. But uh, I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn and, and Facebook and getting to know people even before I get to know them. And so I put all that data into Outlook or into my spreadsheets. And uh, and so when somebody's anniversary or birthday or something comes up, they're pretty much going to get a call or, or a phone call because Outlook populates that every day. And I know that you know, I could name three birthdays today that I've sent cards to already and uh, uh, or a phone call and then dates of um, uh, when somebody loses somebody. You know, uh, you know, in the book, I talk about uh, I attend more funerals than most funeral directors. And it's not because I just have a, a strange need to attend funerals. But when somebody loses somebody as somebody who has lost some dear, dear, dear people, including our middle son, um you lose a piece of yourself and you need to be loved on during those time periods. And so I make it a point if I know of someone who's lost someone, I'll be going to a funeral tomorrow of somebody that everybody that, well, many people know and you know, and Leadership Atlanta graduate who lost her daughter three weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago. And, um, um, you know, knowing those kind of events and then in being there, being present, and then a year from now or six months from now, writing a card and saying, I know it's been six months since you lost your daughter. If I can do something for you, buy you a cup of coffee, glass of wine, or just come over and give you a hug, uh, I'm here. And again, it doesn't take that much for you to do. It's just it's just being, being present, being uh, focused on um, how do we change the world? It's one person at a time. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. Um so, you know, one question I wanted to make sure to ask you um, is, well, I don't know if we talked about this the last time we met, but like, how often are you reading books? Um, not as often as I would like. Uh, yeah. Life is busy right now. Five grandchildren, three live four doors down from where I'm sitting right now. And yeah. we see them on a regular basis. Uh well, there's a John Lewis book that uh, I'm continuing to go yep. through. You can see the books all there, including two of yours. But uh, White Privilege is something that I have been digging through again. Um, uh, there's a few books that I read on a regular basis. For yep. example, as a book that came out in 1975 that was very beneficial to me. It's written by Dr. Scott Peck called A Road Less Traveled. It's kind of Buddhist uh, in theology, if you will. But it basically, the first sentence is, life is difficult. Mm -hmm. And if you can go with that premise, then when you get the crap kicked out of you from time to time, as we all do, it doesn't hurt quite as bad. And you also realize that other people's lives are also difficult. So what can I do to take the burden? How can I wrap myself around them enough to be a shock absorber so the shock is not as bad for them as it might have been? had they not had a buffer. So again, um, that's a book, uh, Dr. Peck died a few years ago and he had a couple of books after further along the road, less travel, et cetera, et cetera. 
I do pick up the original book probably every year or two and, and reread it. Just it's yeah. Hard. You gave me a copy of that book. Is that the book? Oh, you yeah, you did. You did. Um, is that the book you? Because I think someone on my podcast listed it, and I said I hadn't read it yet, and so you gave me a copy. Yeah, is that, that the book. Yeah. Is that the book uh, that you've given out the most, or is there a particular book you've given out to more people a, than a others? a book that I have bought more copies than any other human being, including perhaps uh, libraries, uh, was written by, um, now I think of it, uh, Tim Sanders, Love is the Killer App. Mm -hmm. And it was written in 2000, and I think it's 20 years old now, but I've literally used that in every presentation I've ever made. I think few of the quotes in my book were stolen directly from his book, and uh, it, it had a huge impact upon my life because Again, when you when you believe that we're here to love one another primarily and everything else flows into that, then it just it, it just sets you up. Have I been 100 percent great at that every single time? I can call my wife in here and she'll tell you about the time that I did a very poor job of that and acted more like I hated folks than I love them. But uh, but I, I, I'm a work in progress. I'm certainly not where I want to be yet. But uh but Love is the Killer app is the one book that uh, I have bought at least 300 copies of over wow. the years. I keep four or five books in the trunk of my car. So when I'm sitting with someone having a conversation like yourself or whoever, and they say, you know, here's a problem that I'm having. I said, well, interestingly enough, I've got a book that might address that. And I run out to the car and give it to him or I mail it to them or I just, uh, 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 sent Amazon. I sent a road less travel to a young lady that I was visiting with in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, who's going through a tough situation. And I thought it might be of some ben a, a benefit to her. So again, when, when you give a, a book, you're giving a gift of knowledge, you're giving a gift that will give and be received and will impact somebody, not just today, but maybe for the rest of their entire life. So that's why uh, that's why to me, I think giving books and articles and reaching out to people uh, it, it, with knowledge is about the greatest gift we can give another human being. I couldn't agree more. And, um, I, you know, I would I would honestly list your book in that list of, of books that you could give anybody. You know, my books are more leadership and, le you know, leading a team or leading a company. And, you know, I think for leaders, it's a solid book. But like. I could give your book to anybody and I think it would make an impact. Um, one you. of the things I was thinking about for this conversation was like, I feel like, um, and, you know, just, just from what I've learned from you and from reading the book, you've lived a life that I, I feel like you can feel very satisfied with. Um, you have touched hearts, you have made relationships, you have built businesses, you've had success, you've had falls, you've sort of, you've done a lot of things, but I can tell that you're, or at least I feel that you're happy and you're, and I think that comes from your generosity. And so my question for you here is uh, if you are talking to a 22 year old coming out of college, okay, build your network and here's all the ways to do it. Read Ricky's book, um, get involved in the community. We've talked about that because that's just the right thing to do. And by the way, giving back is only going to come back to you tenfold. Um, what are a couple of other things you would tell a young person today, 22, they got 80 years left. What would, what do you, what would you tell them? What would be advice? Everything you've said already. Um, and in addition is, um, 
never hold a grudge. Mm. When someone does something to you that breaks your heart, cost you a relationship, cost you a business deal, cost you your company, whatever it might be, you know, um, two things. One, they probably didn't know they did it, or if they know they did it, they forgot it 17 minutes later. If you allow that to come into your heart and your life and fester, it's going to affect you maybe for the rest of your life. There are so many sick people in this world that became sick because they couldn't let go of something that happened to them in the past, caused by another human being. Now, natural disaster, that's a whole another line of thought. But but when someone takes advantage of you, in the book, I don't know if I have it in the third book, I might have hit it in the first or the second, uh, I got a great advice from an attorney friend of mine. I went to him because a young lady who worked for me, um, while she was working for me, decided she was going to open up her own company, and she began stealing files and clients and the whole nine yards and you know how that goes. I went to my attorney and I not only wanted to sue her, I wanted to burn her house down. I wanted to take her car. I wanted to, you know, uh, make her get a tattoo or something. You know, I wanted for her to be, I wanted to hurt her in the worst kind of way. And uh, how foolish I was. He told me to get out of my finest stationery, write her a long letter, tell her all the things that she did and how it's going to screw up my life and my family and cost me money and so forth and so on. He said, make it four, five, 10 pages, whatever it takes to get it off of your heart. And then before, then put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it. And then before you walk out of your house, burn it because no good whatsoever is going to come by mailing it. But hopefully it's been a cathartic experience by you getting it off your heart. Again, have I done that as well as I would like over the years? Nope. Uh, I have failed in that a few, a million times. But I do know even when I'm failing at that forgiveness piece, um, I know that I got to reckon that reckon with that at some point. And so eventually I get to a place where I can say, damn, that hurt. Damn, that messed me up terribly. But I got I, I got to get over it um, because I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And fortunately, many, many people have forgiven me for the mistakes that I've made. So by gosh, how in the world can I? you know, hold a mistake against them. I love it. That is terrific advice. Terrific advice to end on as we run out of time here. Uh, there's, there's gotta be more conversations for us. Um, cause there's so many other things I think we could talk about, but I just appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you taking the time to write the book you wrote. Um, and I mean it like, you know, yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the folks I talk to that have written books, you know, they're for very specific audiences. Usually this book every single person can benefit from. So I hope people will, will pick it up. Um, thanks, man. It was, it was good to spend this time with you. Thanks, Jeff. It was a great blessing. Thank you, my friend. All right. I will see you soon. Wow. You made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com, and I really do appreciate you listening. 